Welcome to the Haber Show. I have another special all-star weekend pod for you. Earlier in the week, I had Mark Cuban talking Luka Doncic and big data on and off the court. Today, I'll have Los Angeles Lakers coach Frank Vogel. We'll talk about his relationship with LeBron James, how Frank got on David Letterman as a child prodigy, and what the Lakers need to do to win the title. We taped this one at his hotel in Chicago, so the audio isn't perfect, but I think you'll enjoy the conversation anyway. So without further ado, Frank Vogel. Well, we're here at the All-Star Weekend, and um, I don't think people know this about you, but you yourself are a trick shot artist, or I guess someone who has some skills in a bas- with a basketball. Those who don't know, you were on David Letterman when you were 10 years old, I want to say? 13. 13. Yes. And your daughter over there is smiling. Because <laughs> she's 13 right now. <laughs> and you were just a, a, a kid phenom with this stuff? You were spinning a ball on, on Letterman with a toothbrush brushing your teeth, and the end of the toothbrush was spinning, you're spinning a basketball at the end of it. I just and your teeth look great, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. It's all because of that trick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought that's how all kids brush their teeth. I mean, that's the only, the only reason I did it. <laughs> I actually just learned it, uh, I learned it as a, at a basketball camp as a, a lesson of never, never be satisfied with an achievement. Like if you learn to fit, spin a basketball on your finger, okay, so what's, okay, you've done that, now what's next? What else, how else can I challenge myself? Can I bounce it off my knee? You know, okay, let's bounce off my knee. Now I've done all that. Well, maybe can I spin it on an object? You know, can I spin it on a pencil and write my name? Can I spin it on a toothbrush and brush my teeth? And you know, so um, that was the lesson in uh, one of the, the coaches that uh, gave a, a lecture at the camp that I was at in the summer. Um, had that type of lesson and I applied it to spinning a basketball and then obviously applied it to life, you know, in terms of just, uh, you know, trying to achieve, uh, whatever the next, the next thing is and continue to challenge myself. So where, how did you get from, I can learn how to do this with a toothbrush to I'm on effing David Letterman. <laughs> what is that? How do you get, you don't have a publicist. So, like, right. So this happens, uh, there's no internet at this point. All parents like to show off their kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have a very strange, unique, weird trick that uh, that I'm doing with the basketball. And my wife, my wife, my mother was uh, waiting tables uh, at a restaurant, a local restaurant, and uh, she said, "Oh, you have to show this to you know all the cooks and the chefs. They're they're gonna love seeing the, your trick." So I, I go in and show them, and you know, they used to live in New York City and try to get on the letter and show themselves. Yeah. On something called stupid, stupid human tricks. It's a segment they used to have. Did you know about it at the time? Oh, of course not. I didn't know who David Levin was or what late night TV was. I was in bed by then. I was 13 years old. So um, they they said, you know, they don't want guys like, you know, old, old guys like us doing silly things. Like, this is a genuine, unique, kind of cool, talented act. So uh, they gave us the number and we gave it a shot. And they said, yeah, if you can do what you're saying you can do. Uh, we'd like to have them on, so why don't we bring them up for an audition? There wasn't even like an audition of like, I, I need to watch you do it. You didn't well, send us a tape. No, they, they did. It wasn't, we didn't send a tape. They just, uh, there's a hotline that you call and said, Hey, I got this trick. Yeah, yeah, word that you could do this. And they're like, All right, well, we're taking auditions next Tuesday at nine o'clock if you want to come up. And we went up. Um, you know, they showed them and they're like, That's that's the one. You're you're gonna be on. No, I think it was a Wednesday. And, um, they said you're gonna be on the following Tuesday. Did you have a whole bag of tricks that you wanted to show, or just the toothbrush one? Well, we showed, uh, yeah, we showed all the basketball tricks. Uh, basically, just uh, you know, spinning on a fork and you know, eating some 
strawberries or something and spinning on a pencil and writing my name, spinning on a hairbrush. Well, you can write you can write your name while spinning. I can, yeah. With the ball spinning on the eraser, softens you know connection here. My my daughter wants to tell wants me to tell you that I can spin it on the, the corner of a cell phone now. You know now oh. a different generation. Yes. You know, who uses a pencil? <laughs> but yes, I can spin it on uh, on pencil. Right, my name is. They chose a toothbrush trick as the one they wanted to have on the show. And that has, beyond the, the inspiration to go one step further, has this ever gotten you in places or any use of this? <laughs> any use of this skill beyond just the, the... The best use of it was I was very entertaining to my daughter's friends in the backyard when they would have friends over in my house in Indiana. You know, they would always, Daddy, you get the basketball, I'll show the tricks, show the tricks. You might be the coach of the... Like party clown type of... Type you of might be the coach of the Pacers. Yeah, that's cool. But let me see the toothbrush thing. Right, correct. And the cool thing is, like, once I spin it on a pencil, like, I can hand it to the kids, and it'll keep spinning. As long as they maintain a firm grip, it'll keep spinning for 10 seconds or so. So can you spin multiple balls, like, on your toe here and then put another one up? I, the most I've done is four. You know, I've had, like, uh, basically a fork wedged in my shoelace on both feet <laughs> while spinning one on my right and one on my left. That's, that's the most I've ever done. But that I probably cannot still do. Okay, so you, uh, let's say you do this at a practice, a Lakers practice, who can match you with like tricks with a basketball? Who's like a magician with the ball? Obviously LeBron is probably gonna be named LeBron, here. Probably. But is there anyone in the He's NBA the in your years in the league? Rondo, Rondo can do a lot of things with basketball. You know, a couple of the tricks like that type of stuff. Like you've never had a competition with another player who was like, oh, I see that. Well, spinning, spinning a basketball is the most useless talent in basketball. You don't spin a basketball when you play basketball, so why would you? practice that <laughs> it's just yeah. one of those unique things so I don't really know who, who would you know, compete with me in terms of spinning basketball yeah because there, there's always those highlights of uh, coaches who break out like Stan Van Gundy like a video surface of Stan doing a crossover and through his legs yeah. and people were like yo Stan can play <laughs> most the thing coaches, is most of these guys like you and Spo right. like Spo can play right you, you can play in the NBA like we played our whole lives yes <laughs> you know and played in college and, and all that stuff yeah 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 so it always it always you know you might not have had the uh, credibility of playing in the league or play, you know being an all-star hall of famer but you get a ball spinning on a fork or a toothbrush <laughs> i think you can coach anybody in the league so i was watching trade deadline thursday night last thursday feels like a year ago but last thursday night i'm watching you guys against the rockets and it brought me back to 2012 well 2013 let's go i think it's 2013. so i was covering the miami heat right in Miami, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, it's overtime. Paul George, I think he hits three free throws at the end of the yes. overtime. The you guys are up by one point. LeBron has the possession. The, the he had the possession, and you take out Roy Hibbert off the floor. Right. I feel like this is playing out again. The Rockets are going small, and you guys are huge. You got Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, and you as a coach, I just remember watching being like, wait, this is kind of like back in 2013 where it was like LeBron versus Roy Hibbert. It was an amazing series of chess uh, between the two teams, and I feel like it's coming full circle now where that possession was a decision that was so difficult. Was You have Roy Hibbert 
probably the best defensive player in the NBA against LeBron James. And you have a last second opportunity. What do you do when you have a floor space in Chris Bosh with Roy, Roy Hibbert? Do you keep him out there or not? And it costs you in that one particular game. LeBron got to the rim right. for the game-winning layup. But you must be just like sleepless after one of those things. Yes, yes and no. But at the same time, you know, we knew throughout the year that Roy being on the floor with five three-point shooters, uh, he didn't have the mobility to, um, you know, to, to guard his own man and still protect the rim. You know, so, um, you know, it was, it was a sort of a precursor to what NBA defenses would do over the next five years in terms of you have to go small against five three-point shooters in, in most cases, you know, and a lot of – uh, centers have lost jobs over the last few years because they struggled to uh, you know, to be successful on the defensive end against the spread five type of lineup. So, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, if, uh, if we end up switching, just keeping guys in front of us like we're supposed to, we you might not have been there. You win that game one. And yeah, and, and, and in all honesty, the uh, we won game two. And, you know, uh, I, I had the mindset that if we had won game one, do we really think LeBron James would have let us win game two? <laughs> so it would have been evened up anyway. Probably even with a split either way. So just one of those things that happened in the games, you know, a seven-game series. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had some great battles with those two teams. When you are now coaching LeBron James, what is that relationship like different than when you were – I mean, that was – I remember you did a, you had a great press conference, or at least just a quote about the heat flopping. Yes, an intentional quote. <laughs> I had to draw a little bit of attention and, um, you know, to their flopper. My, my intent at the time, I, and it was really not, uh, I remember the sports radio you know, shows at the time mentioning that I called out LeBron and Wade, and I was really talking about everybody but those two guys. You know, I was like talking about Haslam and Battier. And Battier, Mario Chalmers and Mike Miller. And you know these guys were, were trying to take charges before contact even happened. There's you know falling down, and, and it was really drawn to the last time we played the Heat in a regular season, where I felt they got about five or six calls in the fourth quarter of, of just clear flopping type of types of plays. So I was trying to draw attention to them and get get Sports Center talking about you know showing all their flops on on, on film and just getting their heads a little bit. You so. did. Maybe they wouldn't embellish it so much. Maybe to draw a little bit of attention to the officiating and make sure they're not uh, rewarding their flopping. Is that something that Patino taught you or Larry Bird mentioned? Or where did you get the idea of, like, I want to just drop this bomb on I think uh, I've always been a fan of Phil Jackson. And then Phil and, and Pat Riley, I think, were the two that you know, really did, uh, did the most you know, in the 90s in terms of, you know, just uh, warning shots and, and whatnot you know, in the media. Um, to just draw attention to certain things that the other team was doing, and you know, just try to try to gain any any edge that you can get. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. On this edition of the Wizards Talk podcast, it's my exclusive conversation with NBA five-time All-Star John Wall. John spent about 30 minutes with me talking about how he's been dealing with the passing of his mom. Just all the support I got, man, it was amazing. Like, right when I got the phone calls in my hotel in Charlotte, and Brad came right down, you know what I mean? Gives us the very latest on his rehab and takes a trip down memory lane talking about that one year at Kentucky where he ended up being inducted into the Hall of Fame and shares a story about when he declined Slam Magazine's request for an individual shoot. Instead, he wanted to bring his brothers along for the ride. All that and so much more on this edition of the podcast. Now, back to the conversation. 
So now that it's 2020, NBA teams are now facing that dilemma again, which is go big or small on, on what seems like Russell Westbrook that night. Was, it seemed like he was like someone led a fuse under him. No back line a lot of the times. He just had a lot more space to operate. Like now we see Robert Covington, P.J. Tucker, House, Dwayne, uh, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook spacing the floor. And I think Dwight, you played him in the second quarter, opened the second quarter, and then you just kept him on the bench for the rest of the game. Right, and uh, you know it's one of those things that ideally we stay big in those situations. You know, but our bigs have uh, have been hit or miss in terms of being able to guard the three point line successfully when teams go small. Um, we've had stretches where you know they do a really good job with our coverages uh, on the perimeter, mm. and then we just smash teams on the other end. You know, and and, and, and quite frankly, we smash teams defensively too because if they're you know if they're in the right spot, then they're they're going to hold their ground on the three point line. But still going to be in position to rebound. Still going to be in position to low man help and, and provide a presence at the rim. And um, you know the best case scenario is we're able to stay big with those situations. But you know, um, you know sometimes you know, we're getting beat in that matchup. And you know we do have the ability to go small with uh, with a lineup which should uh, should be a, one of the best if with with Anthony Davis at the five. And um, you know, but our perimeter guys got to got to make sure we're playing at a high level too. And we didn't on that night. Do you, is the uh, post-entry pass a lost on uh, It definitely is. Um, yeah, and, and it depends. I think post-denials is, is a rare thing in the NBA. So when, when teams are going to be small and they try to front the post yeah. and you know, do all those types of things, you know, it's it's something our guys know how to do, but they don't get a lot of reps doing it. And there's not much and, practice time in the league Right, anymore. and, you know, in that night, we were just, we were careless in all aspects of the game. We would have lost if they played so Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon against it. The, way, <laughs> the way we came out that night, you know what I mean. Uh, you know, since the since the Kobe tragedy, you know, our guys have uh, you know took a, a big emotional hit, and uh, we've had a week where we didn't really get real work to practice, and you know we've been a little bit sloppy since then. You know, so and, you know just uh, pushing through that time into the All Star break, you know, was uh, was one of those things that uh, you know. We weren't really sure what we were going to get each night, and you know that game against the Rockets, we weren't we weren't really sharp in, in any areas. So um, you know, hopefully we're you know we're uh, you know have that stretch of the season behind us, and uh, we'll get the break behind us and, and get back to uh, our norm after the, after the break. Well, I I have two daughters. I know you, you too. It's it's got to be one of those. You know, you remember where you were when you found out the news of Kobe. What did you? Yes. Were you just like everyone else? I don't. This can't be right. This can't be true. Yeah, that's uh, is the, the crazy thing is the first thing that came out was TMC reporting it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like this has happened. This is factual. You know, so there was a, a, a mad scramble for information and confirmation. You know, so we were dealing with it too. Like everyone at home was doing. Just this yeah. can't be right. Yeah, so I mean that was the difficult part, but then when you got confirmation, it was you know just something very very difficult to process. Uh, we're on a team plane, and I mean you know, I felt obligated to make sure all of our guys, all the players knew uh, that there was confirmation, and uh, you know it's one of the toughest things I ever do in my life. So what happens after that? Is that um, we can't play? I want to play. There, there's a story of you dealing with a house fire when you were a kid. And you said, I, I want, I, I don't know if you wanted to go play, you had a game, and I don't know how basketball should be functioning in that role. Is it like, do you pull your team, pull your team and say, hey, can we do this? Or should we do this? What was your leadership role in that moment of trying to figure out 
the, the tenor of the team at that point? Well, we really collaborated with our, our front office more than anything. You know, uh, we, we want to collaborate with our players, uh, you know, uh, in just about everything we do. Mm -hmm. you know, but this was, this was about them, you know, and, and how they were, they were, uh, um, you know, or, or something that has happened to them, something that we were going to, we knew was going to knock them down some. So, you know, we wanted to make a, you know, a, a front office decision, uh, collaborate with the league in terms of what was best. And, you know, it was clear to us that, you know, not just our players, but our entire organization was, our, our Lakers family was smashed. You know, in, in no phase of life, uh, you know, do you have such a, a, a loss uh, so close to your family and then you just go back to work business as usual the next day. You know, and uh, it just felt like the right thing for, for all of us. We collaborated with the league to see what, what they thought, and uh, a lot of people got involved in, you know, weighing the, weighing the, the pros and cons, and um, ultimately, uh, you know, the league took it out of our hands and uh, did, did what, what they felt was best. Yeah. Was one of the game. And the, the, the game against the Blazers, it, I don't even know how you're supposed to play after that. You know, I remember sitting on the couch. I wasn't able to go to the game, but watching it, and the tribute videos, LeBron's speech, uh, as, as as moving as it gets, what's the the huddle like afterwards? After that, is it <laughs> is it just like I guess we go play basketball? Yeah, let's uh, let's just man, you know man, try to manage our emotions the best we can and uh, go out and uh, use this game to take our mind off it. Yeah, it was an incredible ceremony pregame. I, I remember LeBron was such a figure of strength. When we're going through things like this, the best thing you can do is lean on the shoulders of your family. And from Sunday morning all the way to this point, now I heard about Laker Nation before I got here last year about how much of a family it is. And I just feel like the game itself, it can be a healing thing to keep you distracted um, from the realities of life, but also you're the Lakers. People are going to come at you, you know, and and you and they're not going to like. It is a tragedy, but Damian Lillard's going to score forty eight points if you're not on on top of your game. So, it, you got to balance that, right? Is there's grieving, and then there's wait, we got to take care of business. Yes, and uh, you know, the difficult assignment. You know, I, I think our guys uh, were outstanding in that game. You know, just uh, just pulling themselves together try to remain focused on the task at hand in light of a, a very difficult night. And, uh, you know, they competed their tails off and uh, were, were outplayed by just a, you know, an outstanding single, singular performance by Dane Lillard. And, uh, you know, credit to your hat to him, credit to, credit to him. But our guys were, were so strong in, in terms of gathering themselves and really competing and, being, and playing a focused basketball game. So I was really proud of how they performed that night. You mentioned collaborative. That's been the word of the season, really. Like you working with LeBron, you working, LeBron working with AD, uh, LeBron working with Rondo, you working with Lionel or, uh, or, or Kid or Palenka. Rob and Jeannie, yes, organization, you know. Did you know that this was possible? Like when did this become like, you know what? This could work. Like I could be the coach of the Lakers. Well, that's two questions, right? You know, whether I could be the coach of the Lakers uh, was one. I, I knew that was going to be a long shot. But, you know, the chips fell. Coach Ty Lue pulled out last minute, and I had an opportunity to, to get the job. And, you know, in terms of it working on the level that it has worked, I did believe in that. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, when I met with Rob and Kurt Rambis about the job, um, it's something they expressed interest in that really has been something that I've always been about. You know, I've always preached togetherness, uh, not just within the 15 guys in our locker room and the chemistry that exists there, but organizational-wide togetherness. 
know, it's you have to have a, a respectful line of communication and, and respect towards each other uh, from the standpoint of the training room, the PR department, ticket sales business side, how the front office and the head coach can work together and how they, that's going to extend into ownership. And there's got to be connectivity and, and there's got to be, uh, you know, a tolerance of each other's own quirkiness. Everybody has to do this overnight seemingly is amazing. Yeah, but it's, um, it helps to have LeBron. It, it does. It, it does. And, but it helps to have, have Rob Polinka. You know, it helps to have Gene Butts. You know, those two are, are outstanding in terms of um, being great people to work for and work with. You know, and uh, they really exemplify the approach that I've had, you know, in every stop that I've, that I've been a, a head coach. And, you know, something that got me really excited about uh, the possibilities here. So, you know, when, when that started off on a really strong note and, you know, LeBron has been so good in terms of working with the new coaching staff and tying all the, the new players together. Yeah. Uh, we did a camp in Vegas and, you know, the many ways that he and AD reach out and touch guys. You know, it's really been a special thing to be a part of and uh, really exciting that it's come together so fast. What was the first meeting with LeBron where you're wearing the Lakers logo on your chest? What was that like? The first one was a conversation. We talked about a half hour, you know, when I first got the job. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about our, our battles in Indiana and whatnot. And, you know, I don't like to get too too much into, um, you know, our, our personal conversations. But, you know, it was a little bit of that. You get to know each other a little bit. And, you know, let's, let's talk vision, you know, of, of how I see our team wanting to play. And, um, you know, and then some questions about, you know, how he wanted to be used. Yeah. You know, things like that and just just trying to get the ball rolling in terms of putting a plan together and um, you know, that's where it began and then you know we've had a, had a lot of other conversations in, in terms of summer workouts and I remember we had a you know probably a over two hour sit down uh, at one time one point in the middle of summer where I just I basically wrote a list of like questions and uh, sort of ideas basically laid out my plan this is what I think the plan should look like you know but I want to get your thoughts on all of it you know what I mean and it can be tweaked and in positive ways and negative ways. I had the same type of meeting with AD. And, um, you know, just uh, just combining strengths, you know what I mean? Putting it all, uh, gaining all, all opinions and, and, and uh, viewpoints on, you know, the way we want to play and put it all together into a into plan we could execute with our whole team. Did you do that a lot in Indiana? Like with PG and, and West and, and, and was it more collaborative now than it was then? Just different time? different place you know, in your I career think, too? I think it's different taking over in an interim uh, situation where you already have relationships with guys. True. Yeah. You know what I mean? You already have a firm background of, of how yeah. guys are feeling about their roles and whatnot. So, you know, I do think it's different in that regard. I read an amazing uh, story from Kevin Arnovitz writing about, you know, you yeah, with the, great. Kevin's, Kevin's my guy. He was my, actually in Miami, Kevin was my editor and like okay. my, my, I was the assistant and he was like the coach, right? Yeah, in Miami great, great. at that point. And he included a detail that you were, uh, or I guess currently a big SNL buff. <laughs> well, I just like, I like uh, comedic material. You know, I like to laugh. <laughs> uh, I'm a big movie buff, so. You know, I have a, an illness of, of uh, quoting 80s and 90s movies, you know, and uh, repeating funny scenes from a Forrest Gump or, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller or, or just all those funny Can you movies. name all of the Bubba Gump uh, <laughs> foods that he lists? I actually asked one of my assistants to go through that list sometime recently because I, I could only come up with like five or six. I was disappointed in myself. And 
uh, I think Mike Mike Pemberth who came out came out with about seven or eight more than I could come wow. up with. <laughs> he was very impressive. So he can day. compete with you on yes. that. Yes, he can. <laughs> well, this time last year, I was in town in Chicago, and this is Second City here, uh, where SNL got like all of their talent from. So oh, they yeah. did a they did an SNL museum here, like just around the block, and I went to it. And it was amazing. It was cool. It had all like the the old sets. The Chris Farley uh, living in a band down by the river, of course. Nice. Um, all that stuff, and the uh, I don't know if I can repeat it here, but there's just a lot of a lot of great SNL moments, and a lot of it is here in Chicago. And I'm wondering what your favorite or most quoted movie that you just keep you could probably watch in your sleep and be able to quote it. Hmm. Well, there's a lot. Like, is it Happy uh, Gilmore? Like, is it uh, we go back even further in the '80s? I guess Bill Murray was doing a tech summit hit today or any Bill Murray Caddyshack or anything like that what's your favorite like yeah. comedy you know I would probably say Wedding Crashers you know if you're going to choose something in the middle Stogies you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole the whole thing you know that that's one of my favorites um but the Ferris Bueller's and the, the Breakfast Club and you know, all those all those movies and gigs, you know were really the, the great ones um, the, the Forrest Gump still continues to be quotable that and recognizable to all generations, like even the younger players, like know what we're talking about when we drop the Forrest Gump line. Like, what, what's the scene in Forrest Gump that you drop in a basketball practice or on the team <laughs> playing? Like, what is what is the the quintessential Forrest Gump scene? Oh man, you know, um, I can't even remember one off the top of my head. That we, uh, we spoke recently, but it's time to Are they in film sessions or like wh when are you dropping these? Well, I dropped I've got Forrest Gump. Um, with my Indiana team when I was trying to get them to run more. You know, we were one of the slower teams and obviously everyone we for us, no one for us is running, right? <laughs> so so we put some of that, we mixed in, you know, I remember there was a scene where we finally had a great fast break game and um, after being one of the slowest teams in the league, so I showed the, showed the clip where he's, he's running and his braces are falling off. Yes, his knees, And he's yes. finally now not like a, uh, you know, boy that's struggling to walk, With but he's braces. actually running, you know, and this is us. We're actually, we broke through. We, the braces are off. We're now a running team. So let's stay here. <laughs> and what about the one when he's at Bama and he catches the pump or the kick return, he just keeps running oh, through, yeah. the, through the tunnel, yes, like all the way through. He might be the stupidest some some alive, but he's always fast. That's right. <laughs> I, I didn't expect to. I didn't know that about you that you're a big like uh, comedy movie buff. Yeah, I just it's it's you know it's sort of an illness. You know, I just I quote movies all the time. My daughter's nodding her head because you know with YouTube nowadays it's. You know, it's not, you don't have to just quote the movie. You can just pull it up on your phone. Like, have you ever seen this movie, this scene? Remember this scene this movie? Oh, here it is. Yes. And then you get people laughing. So, yeah, you know, the iPhone has been, been good for, uh, for this type of sort of Being thing. in Hollywood, do you get, do you see stars and get starstruck with, like, some of your favorite comedians? You know, um, I, I haven't seen a, a ton of them. You've seen many of your games, you know, but you're not going over talking to them and whatnot. Um, you know, but it, we, we've been able to meet uh, David Chappelle, the Genius Series that Robin Lincoln puts on, you know, where uh, he brings people that are uh, experts at what they do in their, their field of work uh, to come and talk to our team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've had Denzel Washington here before I was here. This year we had Dave Chappelle and um, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, Michael was by my request because of my Rocky movies that I love so much. And, <laughs> you know, the fact that uh, you know, the newer generation Creed, probably yeah. relates to Creed more. Um, 
you know, so it was uh, it was great to have him in. Man, I, I know him from uh, from Friday Night Lights and uh, and The Wire. Okay. He was when he was a kid, stuff, Michael yeah. B. Jordan. He yeah. was he was Wallace in The Wire. I don't want to give away too much in that in that show, but like when I see when I see him, it's not Creed, it's Wallace from The Wire. Yeah, but okay. he. Yeah. Um, so so that's pretty. So there are some benefits to being with the Lakers. You get to go with these uh, Hollywood. You get to see these Hollywood. Dave Chappelle comes to your games or yes. comes to your uh, practices and stuff. And sees yes, you guys and I've, I've met Snoop Dogg after a game. I've seen Two Chains was sitting next to our uh, our bench one games. I thought, hey, nice to meet you, Mister Two Chains. Pleasure, you know. <laughs> Just have a little fun with him, you know. Um, so it's it's been neat. I sat on a plane with Leah Thompson. You know, the mom, Marty yeah. McFly's mom from Back yeah. to the Future. So we got to talk uh, talk a lot on a flight from Orlando to L.A. last summer. That was really neat. So you must have been on cloud nine at that oh, point. Yeah, no pun intended on the plane, but, like, you must have been just... Yeah, Back to the Future were, you know, obviously legendary for, for us, you know, growing up. And um, that was a really neat moment for me. So uh, what are you looking forward to most this All-Star weekend? I know you got lots on your plate, but... Are there certain moments that you're looking forward to? And, and I remember talking to Mike Budenholzer last year when he brought his kids out, and it was it was kind of cool to see how refreshing it is that you guys are still parents. Yes. That you like bringing your kids around and, and taking them shopping, or just you know taking a deep breath. That's that's the biggest thing for me. You know, I mean this this whole whole weekend is really about visiting with people as much as. Uh, you know, my daughters are out here this time. We got to do it a couple of years back. Uh, my wife came down and you know, she got to be a part of it with me. The kids were younger, and um, you know, now my, my kids are 15 and 13. My two daughters, so they're out here uh, with me this week. And they went over to NBA Cares uh, this morning with with us, and uh, I got to meet a lot of the rising stars. You know, some of these I got to meet Zion and John Moran <laughs> and Luca and Trey Young, and you know, that was pretty cool for them. But then um, we got a nice surprise, and President Barack Obama came in. Yeah, I missed uh, that. I was, I was, I think I was interviewing Thibodeau yeah. at that point. I didn't want to shut down the interview. Be like, I got to go to see Barack. But man, that was special. He's uh, just such a strong leader for our country, and someone we all admire and look up to. And uh, obviously, a big basketball fan. So you know, it was neat. Came over and spent some time, uh, you know, talking to myself and my daughters about Indiana and the transition to LA. And, that was uh that was really cool. My daughters, you know, I, I know will remember that for the rest of their lives. So, you know, that was a was a neat thing for us. So did you know the President of the United States knows who your dad is? She says it's crazy. Well that's pretty cool. You 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 probably didn't know that that was happening, right? That was a surprise. I, you had caught wind of that? I actually got a little word that it that it was coming, uh, that he that he was gonna be there, but you never know with that stuff, you know, I, you know, sometimes it seems wall through, so um, but not everybody knew that it was, it was happening, so we had to kind of keep it quiet. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a neat thing to be part of, for sure. What's the one thing Lakers in the second half need to do to prove that they are ready for the playoffs? What's one um, thing you want to work on? I think turnovers, probably. Turnovers leading to breaks. You know, our, our defense is so good when we get set. In the half court. Yeah, in the half court. And, um, you know, we just we sometimes be careless with the basketball. And if, we're turning the ball over a lot. Teams are scoring on us before we get our defense back and utilize our size and, and speed. So, you know, that's probably it. If I was choosing one thing, you know, that would be it. But we still have a million things that we need to get a lot better at. Isn't that crazy? You guys are on like a 63 win pace. Yeah, it's uh, we, we've been able to look. You know, a lot of that is you know we're more talented than a lot of teams, and um, but there's also been a commitment. 
uh, to the details and to you know to play with the pass and to honor uh, the defensive side of the ball and, and you know and, and, and more importantly than anything to trying to be the, the harder playing team each night. You know, I think the, the play of hard habit is something that, um, you know, if you can get your team to buy into that, you know, you're going to win a lot in the regular season. And, and you're also, by doing so, going to build a lot of great habits that will win for you in the playoffs. Yeah. Man, well, good luck the rest of the way. Uh, enjoy the rest of your All-Star weekend. And I don't know how you top Barack, but uh, it don't. should be a good year. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, but uh, hopefully we still have a good rest of the weekend. I'm really looking forward to coaching the game and uh, building some relationships with some of the great players. Uh, has. Well, you have to watch yourself. This is, might be tampering now. No, no. It's, it's, it's fun coaching some great players. Yeah, I, I know. You go, you get with the Lakers. With, if you're the Pacers coach, no one's really watching you and talking to the relations with the players. But now that you're a Lakers coach, they're going to be like, oh, who's he talking to over there? Well, it's going to be a good time. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to get a lot more interesting as the days go on. But thanks so much for taking the time, especially with your family here. And uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Of course, Tom. Thanks for having me on and good luck to you. And that'll do it for The Haber Show. I want to thank Frank Vogel for coming on. And if you haven't checked it out yet, do go listen to my pod with Mark Cuban at All-Star. And also be sure to listen to my live show pod with Aaron Gordon, Tom Thibodeau, and Rashawn Holmes. Until next time on The Haber Show.